0: Mad Max digital dystopia is here and sane people unite against nuclear extermination. Coming up on today's Citizens Report. Welcome to the Citizens' Report for the 23rd of February, 2023. I'm Alisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens' Party Research Director, Robbie Barwick. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Alisa.
0: And on today's show, we're going to be discussing the new realm in which we live without, that is the realm without physical bank branches, which is rapidly coming upon us. And then we'll also discuss how banks are squeezing households to save the current economic system. And then we will, in the second topic, discuss um, the latest in the war drive, but also the growing number of voices opposing the insanity of where this is all leading.
1: Yeah. And in in between all that, we have some pretty good news about the progress we're making, Lisa.
0: On our campaign, yes. So don't forget uh, to help get the show around. Hit the like button If you're new to us, subscribe and ring the notification bell so that you're alerted of extra content and the weekly shows and share it as widely as you can. Comment below. I'd also like to thank the people that have donated as we've put out the appeal in the last few weeks Um, and for others who uh, might be inclined to do so, uh, there's a link below. That all helps our campaign.
1: We're doing enormous amount of work and the Citizens' Party is called the Citizens' Party because we are a party of the citizens. It only works with the, with the citizens' help and that's all kinds of help, activism, writing submissions, making phone calls, all those things but also financial help. Um, we're the most democratically funded political party in Australia, uh, Elise, and I mean that. We get nothing from big business, we get nothing from unions, we get nothing from government um, unlike all the other parties mm-hmm. who get something from at least one of those, if not all those, and we only exist on the support of Australian citizens.
0: Yep, that's you. So, first topic, Mad Max, digital dystopia is here. Now, breaking news today to release to people, we're in receipt of footage which shows... Exclusive footage. It shows the drive that the townspeople of Coober Pedy have to make now that their branch, their last branch, bank branch in town has closed. This is footage showing the drive they have to make to the nearest... The next nearest bank.
1: 540 kilometres away in Port Augusta. Run the tape. <laughs> now, we, we shouldn't laugh. No. This is what people just watch as scenes from Mad Max 2, Road Warrior, <laughs> but I kid you not, that's exactly what's happened. We'll put up the um, the headline the from head-
0: the ABC. Yeah,
1: the headline coverage. From the ABC. This is serious. Cuba PD is a large cash economy because it's an open, it's the open mining capital of the world, mm. right? People people fly in from all around the world and they do deals right there and then. And those people want the deal settled straight away, and it happens in cash. And the Westpac Bank used to facilitate that. And the Westpac Banking Corporation Management a week earlier. Got great headlines telling everybody mm. that they weren't going to close regional branches while um, the inquiry was on. They named eight branches they weren't going to close, but they didn't mention at all that there were seven others they're going to push ahead with, including Cooper And so now, as the as the CEO of that council, David Kelly has pointed out, organised like I mean, I feel bad even talking about it in the sense that we're helping publicise the problem. Organised criminals will know that people taking the drive. 540 mm. kilometers away, may have lots of cash on them. Mm-hmm. And and very soon out of Cooper Pini, you've got no communications. You can't call your mobile phone, say help, someone's Emergency. trying to get like mm. this. Is what and, and here's I mentioned this last week, Elisa. Westpac has only ever been the only bank in that town. The business model has never changed. It's always Westpac's bank in that town has always served that Opal industry and the people who are part of the town. The town didn't change right? Westpac's business didn't change in that town. Nothing changed except the bastards in that corporate headquarters who decided that if we can push the whole world onto digital, we can just loot everybody at will and nobody can escape us. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to push him down that path. And the stupid, pathetic, impotent government sat on their hands and said, well, who are we to tell banks what to do? Well, now there's a revolt. We'll go through it. A full-blown revolt. but, But... We're not making light of that. That's a serious problem that the government has just allowed to happen. And Mad Max was made 40 freaking years ago or whatever, right, as a dystopian future. Well, it's here, people. Mm -hmm. It's
0: here. Now, the inquiry that was announced in the parliament by the Senate uh, the week before last, I guess it was now, had called upon all of the banks. They wrote a formal letter saying, look, we're looking into the rural bank closures and they asked them to hold off, to cease and desist. And they have ignored that, and which is why we want to come back to discuss why the only thing that will impinge on the banks yep. is going to be an actual competitor in the form of a public bank. But first, just... No
1: mercy to banks.
0: Obviously, you just explained Westpac... Yep. ..and... Um, they just told an outright lie or half-truth.
1: Well, they ha- they told a half-truth in order to lie, which was the same as an outright lie.
0: But they uh, refused a request, essentially, of the committee. ANZ and NAB did the same.
1: So ANZ... Uh, so we'll go with NAB first. NAB, NAB was the most explicit. No. <laughs> we're not going to comply with this. We have plans to close branches, and we're going to continue with those. And they use... They use newspeak like our branch reshaping process. Oh, we will cooperate with the committee, but our branch closures will continue. And the sheer arrogance of it is that that alone illustrates the power imbalance in Australia. The, Demo- the A committee of the democratically elected parliament makes a reasonable request mm. on behalf to banks that are supported by taxpayers. And the request was on behalf of those taxpayers whose lives get severely disrupted. And NAB said, get stuffed. You don't tell us what to do, and what NAB was saying is, you know, where, who, they were showing who's in charge, right? So NAB did that. ANZ, I mean, yeah, ANZ has just... to be seen to be believed. <laughs> yeah. So look,
0: we're doing it for your own good. <laughs>
1: we'll, we'll, we'll put this up on the screen with my with my red lining on it. Regional. It wasn't even on a lead head, by the way. <laughs> the, 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 West, the Westpac replies and whatever were a bit more formal. This just reads like a note. Dear Senator, thank you for your email on this important issue. Regional branch closure announcements, agreement to postpone. That's the heading. Agreement to postpone. Well, That sounded good. And then as soon as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, someone sat down in, in ANZ's bank and wordsmithed this. PR people said... How can we say get stuffed, (laughs) but in words that look like like we're saying, yes, we're here to help, Mm. right? So here's how they did it. ANZ will postpone announcing any further closures of regional branches until the conclusion of the inquiry in December this year. Announcing any further. But hang on, they've already got 14 on the go. There's 14 they've lined up to close. What about them? So... They say we agree with you that this is important to allow the committee to complete its work. We also have fourteen regional branches whose closure processes were announced in 2022 and are now almost complete. And can I say, when they in 2022 they announced them, most of those were after the publishing of the Regional Banking Task Force, which the people on that task force, the politicians, thought, oh well, this is going to address this, mm. and just gave the banks a green light, mm. right? Um, So ANZ continues, in response to your request, we reviewed whether we could pause these processes, on balance, and this is from the bottom of our hearts. I mean, we've thought long and hard about this, okay? But on balance, we believe doing this, pausing those branch closures, would be more disruptive to our customers and staff than completing them as planned. We have to continue with these branch closures for their sake. Those
0: bank employees and tellers that are going to get sacked and, you know...
1: We don't... Those people <laughs> need the certainty, Elisa, <laughs> of losing their jobs next month. They need that certainty. We, we... It would be bad to pay them for another whole year to serve their communities. It would be very bad to do that. Terrible. I mean, the, the, ANZ is the most sincere bastard bank in Australia. <laughs> Got to give them that. Get this. Then they add this thing, regional communities ongoing support. And this is where they think people are mugs, right? Because it's the way they write it. ANZ remains committed to supporting regional communities. The bank's credit risk exposure to agriculture, forestry, fishing and mining, which means regional economic activity, increased from 2021 to 2022 from close to 33 billion to a bit over 36 billion that's a 10% increase but they called that credit risk exposure the other name for that is assets what that sentence is actually saying is our assets in regional economies went up by 10% our assets in other words we're raking it in mm. but they write it in a way it sounds like they're doing regional australia a favor yeah. by being there mm-hmm. right these are twisted sincere bastards. <laughs> anyway, and the, that's that was their letter to the committee.
0: Um, now and, it, of course, Westpac
1: we've already ranted about.
0: Now, in that coverage about Cooper Pedy, which we put up the, the Mad Max hellscape, <laughs> um, there was another MP for yeah. Barker, Tony... Passon Passan, who he's calling for the closures to be reversed. We should have more MPs calling for that because... Well, the
1: last fight... Like, this is, this is really significant, because I, I, you know, I get to do a lot of lobbying, right? And, and you know the way, the, the, the mental framework that's in the heads of these politicians. Most of them are like, please don't beat me, master. I, I, if you, you know, you're the 100th bank, you're going to close this year. If you at least spare that 100th one, they'll feel better, and I'll claim credit for that. Tony, what's happened is as more and more politicians are now piling on this issue, because we've made it an issue. They're getting stronger and stronger in what they're prepared to say. And Tony Passant is the strongest so far. He's not just saying stop closing branches. He's saying you should go back and reopen every branch you've shut for the last five years. Now, that is an, that's quite an ambit claim. And right? he said
0: quite strongly, banks have a service obligation to r- rural and regional communities. There's 100%. no two ways about it.
1: Because by the, the ANZ, by the way, rake, their assets going up 10%. NAB is bragging that their deposits last year yep. from regional Australia went up 20%. Mm-hmm. They're raking it in. Yeah, so what they do is they come up with this limited way of measuring the branch in terms of the foot traffic. But that branch in that town, which is miles from anywhere, is serving a community. They're still raking it in from that community, mm-hmm. from those deposits, from what they're doing with them. They're raking it in from that community, but they're saying, oh, because we'll just, well, we'll just use the foot traffic excuse to shut it down.
0: Well, here's an example of that. Um, Dale Webster from The Regional tweeted this week, that in talking to a branch, a bank manager of one of these branches that's at threat, he said to her, just outright, I would buy this bank in a heartbeat if it was a franchise because, you
2: He
1: knows how profitable it is. Exactly.
0: Now, so these profits, you know, make um, the mouths water of any local ordinary citizen, and yet it's not enough for the rapacious, you know, foreign multinational companies such as banks... Um, which just goes to show how we're being looted um, here. Now, Westpac is about to close the Karnamah branch in WA tomorrow. Hay and Moree Westpacs are closing tomorrow, plus the ANZ in Tumut. The Catherine uh, branch Westpac. of Westpac is closing today. We'll just run a clip here of an intervention made by the Northern Territory Senator Jacinta Price about this, which was very good.
3: Hi all, Jacinta Nubbin price here. Um, just in Catherine, behind me I've got the Westpac Bank and in a couple of days it's going to be one of the banks that's closing down in regional Australia. Uh, recently myself and my colleagues uh, called for an inquiry into banking closures in regional Australia. This is really
0: a a tough issue, especially for for people in and around small towns like Catherine who need their banks. Um, I'm calling on Catherine residents and any other people uh, throughout the regions who are concerned about this to submit your inquiry, um, your submission, sorry, into the inquiry by March 31st. And and let's see if we can um, get the banks to hold off or think about Think about what the needs are for people in small towns like Catherine for their banking. Um, yeah, let's do this together.
1: And again, Lisa, that it, like I'm really happy to see that. But these are, and I, sorry, and Jacinda Price is a special case because she's a brand new senator, right? So the, when there's, there are plenty of other national party senators and MPs that are jumping on this bandwagon, you do think, where were you before, right? But. I'm just what I am enjoying is how much they all want to jump on now mm. because this it proves this was an issue all along and that was just into prices' effort yesterday
0: yeah and other we're also getting other um, recruitments to the fight we're finding more and more councils that are getting on board because they're realizing what people like regions like Junee, for example the town of Junee have been able to do and they know that they're next so we've had uh, the Derwent Valley Council in Tasmania passed a resolution, the resolution that we drafted, calling for um, moratorium on closures and for a pu- public post office bank. Uh, we had contact from the Boganshire Council, where an ex-banker is absolutely um, gung-ho for a postal bank and is cooperating in that fight.
1: And as, an, as the ex-local bank manager, he knows how profitable the local banks are. Um, so he's going to make an important contribution to the inquiry uh,
0: the Kingston District Council which is mentioned again in that ABC article that we showed in South Australia they're joining the push for this uh, and the Latrobe City Council will be uh, attending the first hearing of the um, the regional banking. Closure task or um, inquiry. committee inquiry that's going up, which is going to be held in Sale next, next Thursday. Thursday. For
1: a, week, a week from today, um, I'll be there representing the Citizens Party with uh, Glenn Isherwood. Dale Webster will be there. Um, we'll be there to observe, observe. But this is where the people of Sale get to have their say. But the, the Latrobe uh, City Council is lined up um, to be uh, a speaker, mm. like a, a, a witness. Um, and that's great because last November they passed our motion for a postal well, bank. yeah. And when they did it, they communicated that to Darren Chester, right? So Darren Chester, who went really big on this issue, was the first of the National Party MPs to come out really hard mm. um, behind us. Um He's been Mm. he's been having to contend with this with his local council since last November because he knows that they they've they've signed on to support our policy.
0: So all this movement and motion, no matter how small it is at the local level, this is all building and having an enormous impact. Uh, Another example: we had a crew of people in Queensland this week that visited a number of towns, and we'll put up some photos. Um, to Wanton Tin Can Bay, these are places with their down to their last bank or with no bank, and the reception that we got from local businesses, you know, inviting us in, putting flyers on the counter, putting posters in the window, was just brilliant because yep. everyone is feeling the impact of these bank closures. Um, now, last but not least, uh, yesterday we had another breakthrough, and that was that we got coverage of the Junie e fight and the Junie. E People of Junie did a brilliant coverage, job.
1: The best coverage so far.
0: And bringing this about, um, which was on the project on uh, Channel Ten last night. So we'll roll that
1: clip. And when we do, when you watch it, um, look out for a special business in the middle of this town that I thought had gone extinct, and it tells you everything you need to know about why Junie needs a face-to-face bank. Hmm.
3: Juni has been around for about 150 years. A thriving railway town in the New South Wales Riverina with a population of over 6,000. Back in the day, there were four banks that serviced the Juni area. Now, there's just one, and it was scheduled to close in a few weeks' time, making the closest Commonwealth Bank branch, Wagga Wagga. Now, that's an hour-long round trip for residents. They're not happy about it.
2: The Commonwealth Bank have been in Juni for 91 years. They're letting us all down, aren't they, after all this time?
3: Maisie Robinson has been banking with CBA for a very long time.
2: And then you see, I've got the bank book from when I was nine years old,
3: 1943. Wow. From the elderly in particular, a chorus of disapproval. Set bank. Set Set Set
2: sale sale bank. Bank. I was just happy with my past book and the Commonwealth Bank until now. I personally believe it was a sheer act of bastardry by the bank on the people of June. 8.
3: The locals are well aware that more than 700 banks have closed around the country over the past three years, but they want theirs to stay open.
2: I mean, these banks are making billions of dollars in profit. What's wrong with these people? They're just bloody dead-set greedy.
3: Tony Clough farms sheep, canola and wheat on the outskirts of Junee.
2: Now, I'm a shareholder of the Commonwealth Bank, so I'm happy to forego dividends for the simple reason to give us better customer service.
3: The future of banking for rural and regional areas? Apparently this, your local post office. CBA says that 97% of cash transactions can be done here.
2: It's great for doing your mail, but it's not a bank. Now, if you, Georgie, want to go in there and and put $100,000 into an investment, um, you've got every Tom, Dick and Harry looking over your shoulder saying, oh, Georgie's got 100 grand, she's investing. So, I mean, that's not proper and it's not right.
3: And if you're elderly or disabled, there's a couple of other problems with CBA's Bank at Post Solution in
2: June. Not many people can get in there because there's two steps up into it. We have members that are uh, disabled and they would have a hell of a job getting into the uh, post office.
3: Businesses in town have other complaints, like this video store, whatever that is. What do you do at a video store?
1: You hire movies to watch instead of downloading. You come in with your membership card, you hire a disc, you take it home and you bring it back. The DVDs, kids, DVDs.
3: (laughs) Many of Marnie's customers pay in cash. She deposits at the bank a couple of times a week. I know how busy that bank is. I just couldn't understand their
4: justification in doing it.
3: Commonwealth Bank turned down our request for an interview, but said their Juni branch had a 37% drop in transactions in the five years pre-COVID. These days, it's only operating three days a week on reduced hours. Across the tracks, one of Juni's sweetest tourist attractions, the Licorice and Chocolate Factory, reckons the bank's relationship with the town has turned sour. The communication with this whole shutdown has been pretty pretty bad um, for something that is such a big business. And businesses here will struggle with six thousand dollar limits on deposits at the post office.
0: We actually exceed that deposit or the transaction limit per
3: day. The solution: making the deposit here in Wagga Wagga, over forty kilometres
0: away. It's certainly a security concern if they're taking large amounts of cash in their personal cars over to Wagga for banking. That because of the pattern and nature of that activity.
3: But it's not just the bank that's in the firing line. If you've walked down a street recently and thought, I swear there used to be an ATM right here, you're probably right. Since 2017, the banks have closed more than 7,000 ATMs. Last year alone, they closed nearly 1,000. And when the Commonwealth Bank goes, so too does the town's only fee-free ATM. How would you be able to get your money?
2: I haven't crossed that line yet. <laughs> I don't know.
3: But while we're still in June, a remarkable coincidence. The Commonwealth Bank postponed plans to close branches, including Junea, until a Senate inquiry into rural bank closures is complete.
2: That is very good. Yes, a lot of people were very thankful for that. <laughs> it is the people's bank. Always has been the people's bank. The bloke's up in the head office in Sydney, and they've got to realise that too. We need that branch, and the bloody Commonwealth Bank can afford to leave it there. And as with all some of the other uh, little small towns that are out there, I mean, for heaven's sakes, grow up, CEOs, grow up.
3: There you go, you heard it from Tony. It's such a huge issue for not only the people of Junie, but right around the country when it comes to regional towns, because people are, you know... Over 80, over 90, they don't have computers. So for everyone who's like, just go online, they're like, well, I don't have a computer, I don't have a steady internet connection, I don't have a smartphone. And quite frankly, they don't want to learn Mm. because they feel like they don't have to, they shouldn't need to at this stage in their life. And while the Senate inquiry is ongoing, uh, Westpac, they've said that they will pause the planned closures of eight branches. But Mm. while they've made that decision, they are still closing Branches elsewhere. There was a few that closed last week. Two are closing in WA this week. Wow. Two in com- like to credit Commonwealth Bank. They are sticking with not closing the branches while the inquiry is underway. But just such, just I just can't believe that it was. They were so distraught. The people in Junee. Well, it's so galling, particularly when these banks are making record profits. I mean, they could put a bank in every
0: town in Australia, practically, Mm. you Mm. know. This is is like the heart of the the town. They
3: need it. And if you want to get people to regional centres, which everyone's trying to do, you can't take away the
0: services. That's it. Yeah, so there you
1: go. So did you see the business? Junee has a viable, commercial, clearly profitable video rental store they don't exist in melbourne anymore (laughs) they just don't exist why do they exist out there because when you live in these towns elisa you know there's a certain number of people live in the town but the town is the center of a whole district and the internet isn't even that reliable in the town you go outside the town it's terrible right so there's no netflix getting getting whipping your phone out and and streaming youtube or netflix or whatever you still, it's still a better option for you to go to the video store, right? DVD. And so when these, when these banks, when these fat cat, molly cold <laughs> city slicker bankers in Sydney, and they're usually 25-year-old nothings, say, huh, oh, hmm. we can shut branches and save money on that and everyone can do their, inter- their banking on the internet. they got no idea. Mm. And look what Maisie said, where, where are you going to get your money from? What was her answer? I don't know. An eighty-nine-year-old person who's done her banking with the certainty of face-to-face banking her whole life, at the end of her life is having it ripped, the carpet ripped from under her, and she's not going. She doesn't know how she's going to yeah. fare yep. going forward.
0: And access to cash is really a crucial yep. part of this whole fight, um, as reflected in the headline. And another. Um, intervention on this front has just come to our attention thanks to Martin North and that is over in New Zealand uh, where yesterday in a press conference the head of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand made some interesting comments in regard to the necessity to protect cash access and this is off the back of a process in New Zealand which has been rather interesting over the last several years. In 2019 they began a review of cash And by February 2020, as that review came to a conclusion, um, Mr Orr at that point, the head of the RBNZ, who you're about to watch, said then outright, just flat out, New Zealand will not go cashless. The people have spoken and we have heard. Mm. And we reported that in the alert service at the time. Um, So this is a reflection of that process and some other things that I'll mention in a moment. But we'll just roll that clip.
4: You know, our drive to cashless society shows how vulnerable we are. This is why we have been doing the work on cash and cash distribution um, throughout the economy. So um, de-risking, de-branching, pricing, um, cash management out of use uh, increases risk, reduces resilience as is financial inclusion. You're seeing and reading some horrific stories out there at the moment of isolated communities. When people lose the ability to transact, when they don't have a means of exchange, then social cohesion is very quickly challenged. And so these are vivid reminders right now of the importance of resilience through the system. Across almost every sector of the international economy at the moment, where just-in-time management has been taken to extreme and just-in-case management has been left in the background. So um, a good, horrible wake-up call. And the thing is, Lisa, he's not just... He,
1: he's, he's actually shifted from 2020 saying, OK, we've heard the people. He's now arguing the counterposition like we are, right? Yeah. That this is bad, bad for society to make people go cashless. That's when he mm. says when he says debranching etc. He's talking about closing bank branches. He's saying is bad. So there's a real contrast between him and our reserve bank. Our reserve bank is ambivalent. They're saying, "Oh no, we have no plans to get rid of cash." But they are not doing anything to protect it. Yeah. Right? And they're letting the banks take away all our cash options for us. He's on the warpath against that. And at, you, like that's the, you know, their banks are our banks, mm-hmm. right? That's, mm-hmm. the, the they're our cousins across the ditch. People need to be taking that message to their members of parliament and people like Stephen Jones and Jim Chalmers, the decision makers in Australia.
0: Yeah. Now, the RBNZ review, um, they have undergone in the last couple of years a review of their reserve bank, just as we're undergoing in Australia now, which is due to report to the government next month. And one of the things that was... Uh, discussed as part of this review and there's um, more that's going to come out on this process. They're going to discuss ways to um, enshrine the protection of cra- cash access because you have to have the yeah. systems in place, as he yeah. mentioned, to make sure it's affordable for the people who are you know, providing and delivering the cash and all of those logistics that come behind that. So there's more to come and we'll report on that more next week in the Australian Alert Service. But one of the other interesting things that came out of the RBNZ review was um, that New Zealand New Zealand was one of the countries to first, um, in the late 1980s, include um, or single out targeting inflation yep. as the primary mandate of the central bank. So... It literally had, you know, in our Re- Reserve Bank of Australia mandate, we have three things. We have price stability, you know, keeping inflation under control. Uh, we have the employment mandate to keep yep. full employment. And we also have um, to act to the benefit of all the people of Australia. Yep. Cl- very the wel- important cause. The welfare of
1: the people of Australia. That's
0: right. But New Zealand's only ever had, as the Reserve Bank of New Zealand Act stated in 1989 price stability, targeting inflation as its singular aim. But during their review, the review of the RBNZ, they actually changed that to include full employment. So they brought it away from the singular mandate of inflation, 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 and said, no, 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 we have to have regard, the bankers have to have regard for full employment of the people. You know, sometimes that means spending money to get the economy going in order to create jobs and so forth, it's so a, and it,
1: th- these, char- these these um, th- these provisions in these acts that charter institutions like that, mm. like, they are important. They're very very powerful. Now they can, it's not perfect. They can be used the wrong way. Guy de Bell testified before our Senate a few years ago that um, the, the Reserve Bank of Australia pumping out money into the property market yeah. was in pursuit of the full employment aim mm-hmm. of the Reserve Bank. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, and therefore, okay. If that's his excuse, then they did it wrong. But by the same token, the as people like Jared Rennig and Malcolm Roberts and Nick McKim have constantly been hammering the Reserve Bank of the last three years, they could do that another way by directing money into infrastructure that's right. Right, and create mm-hmm. full employment that way. And they could. They actually could do that under the same provision.
0: Well, that's right. And that was raised this week, on, or last week, I should say, the 15th of February in the Senate Estimates Hearings by a number of senators who, some you've mentioned, have been raising this consistently at all yep. the Senate Estimates Hearings. Um, because the our RBA review... Uh, when the IMF put out a review of Australia's economic performance for 2022 in February, it actually took that opportunity to say, oh, the RBA review would be an opportunity to, quote, reaffirm the inflation targeting regime. In other words, to make that number one. Um, and uh, Philip Blow is one of the people who has warned in the past about the dangers of inflation pumping up asset bubbles and they have to be wary about that. Um, but in this case, he's now saying to the people of Australia, sorry, and there was a lot of questioning about to Lowe about the fact that they're raising interest rates while the yeah. banks are making mega profits. And in fact, they're set to make um, record profits for the year of $33 billion. So they've never made profits that high, according to an article just out yesterday by Michael West Media. And 10 percent of it is from profiteering from the term funding facility, which yep. is money that was allocated to them to try to boost the economy during the COVID pandemic, but With which
1: small business lending, which they didn't do,
0: which they didn't do. It just sat there, and they invested it on the Reserve Bank balance sheet and made, you know, exorbitant profits out of the interest that they earned on that. Um, but in response to this profiteering, uh, Philip Lowe essentially said, "Look." Um, we need to squeeze you, the households, now. We have to do it now or it'll be worse later. We'll have to squeeze you even worse later if inflation keeps going up. This is going to be painful but, you know, we have to do it. He did admit that um, on the supply side, you know, because he, he literally said in this hearing that um, we have to make you, the consumer, the householder, spend less to bring demand down, to bring prices down as if squeezing households is the only tool they have at their disposal, Mm. you know, shrink the people's livelihoods in order to fix, you know, balance our economic models.
3: But, Elisa, Um,
1: while he's talking about squeezing households, and uh, Senator Rennick said this to him in the hearing, he's still the guy that is giving this free money to the banks. Like, They get free money, they get massive profits, they get massive free money. It's the households who have to get squeezed. Yeah. It's it's not just, it's hypocrisy, but it also shows that their theory is garbage, Mm. right? That's the...
0: So as I was saying, he did admit that you could ease the supply side. So, okay, we're trying to squeeze demand, but he did say, well, you can raise supply by growing the economy and having increased productivity, yep. that will help alleviate it too. But then as soon as Senator Rennick, Jared Rennick, and Senator Malcolm Roberts put concretes forward, where yep. Senator Rennick talked about um, the term funding facility, that, you know, you did it with that, so why can't you do it if for you something could,
1: if you can productive? If you can give 0.1% interest loans to the banks... From which they can make these massive profits. Mm. Why can't you lend to state governments and federal governments and local governments for infrastructure? I yeah. know oh, we can't do that. Yeah.
0: So, as soon as something specific comes up, uh, it's hands off. We don't do that. And Senator Roberts raised, he gave an excellent short briefing on, iron on Project Iron Boomerang to build you know, a steel industry, yeah. which would just transform this country in an incredible way. And again, oh, no, no, well, that's up to the government. We yeah. don't do that. I can't,
1: I can't endorse that. Um,
0: but um, there is a, a means of doing it, and we've documented this in the past. It's something that Green Senator Nick McKim brought out the day that the, that Philip Lowe announced the ninth consecutive interest rate rise. And he, at that point, he called for the government to intervene to reverse the rate rise. He said the government has the power to intervene because in the governing legislation of the Reserve Bank, Clause 11, it says if there's a dispute, if there's some difference of opinion between the RBA and the government, the government can in the end overrule them. There's a kind of an elongated process. And that was actually raised in this committee hearing by Senator Jane Hume, <laughs> interestingly enough. And she said, oh. I didn't know this was there. I just was <laughs> reading the Act for fun and there it was. And, whoa, well, we don't want that to yeah, happen right. again. True,
1: true to former Senator for bankers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't want the government to use that power. But don't be modest, uh, Elisa. I can I can assure you it was Elisa's work writing in our alert service on this Section 11 that was the first... She was You were the first person to generate a public discussion about this and now it's being talked about um, in the Senate, which is great.
0: And it's a, it's just fascinating that it's coming up in this way in this kind of debate because, as we said, um, I think the week before last, with this inquiry on, we are going to bring the fiercest discussion of the government role in banking that's been yep. had since the 1940s in this country.
1: Yep, they they thought that eradicated it, right? The bankers, the the, the from the from the beginning of the power of banking evolving, the bankers thought we cannot. Let, this is such an immense power. It's got to be held exclusively by the private sector, exclusively for maximum profit. Because if you actually let it be used for the common good, it's such a great power, um, the public will expect that you know credit is made available for these productive things. And it's been a philosophical fight for hundreds of years. It really kicked off with um, Alexander Hamilton. We wrote this in our alert service a few weeks ago. Um, and what happened was we had, in Australian history, we had a public bank for over we had public banks for over a century they were all privatized in the late 80s and the 90s all of them at the behest of these neoliberal vandals who took over our economy and and they've had their way for twenty five years and so after twenty five years we can we can look at it and say well this has been a disaster right but the public banking model is the norm not the exception it is the norm mm-hmm. and if we what we're doing here our whole campaign is about breaking that neoliberal mentality and go back to what worked. And, you know, that's our interest in the regional banking issue because we want to show that the Postal Bank is the solution to that. So with that said, let me just reiterate before we move on. We need submissions. This is really, really important. I said it last week. I'll keep saying it until the submissions close for the inquiry on the 31st of March. You need to help us spread the word. You need to make a submission. You need to get everyone you know to make submissions. And you need especially if you if you know if you live in regional areas, you know people in regional areas, help us spread the word to those people like Maisie who aren't watching YouTube. The Maisies of this world need to mm-hmm. make submissions. The people who go to the RSLs and spend cash, the elderly people, need to make submissions. Lovely handwritten submissions. They can they can put them in an envelope and mail them to Parliament. But that's got to be done through word of mouth. That's very, very important. And what there's two things that I will ask people should you the viewer to say on the submission one is what your concern is what your experience is whatever about losing banking services definitely make it about that but there's a section in the terms of reference you know consideration of solutions if you support our policy for a postal bank say so call for a postal bank in the submission we want to get this inquiry eventually to have to, to, to actually have to address that mm. perhaps hold a hearing on it etc. So make a submission about a postal bank and help us spread the word.
0: And even if you're in a city, do it anyway. Because Absolutely. let's force them to have to deal with that problem that they've got so many submissions from cities that it has to be expanded in exactly, some way. Exactly. Um, and read more about the details in the alert service this week, some of the coverage and some of the discussions and debates on banking that we've just been talking about. And on to our next topic. Sane people unite against nuclear extermination. Uh, now, we want to start this segment with a clip, which was uh, a presentation, that, a brief speech that was given at a Washington rally in Rage, Washington, D.C.
1: Rage Against the War Machine, it was called. This
0: was held uh, on the 19th of February. So there were thousands of people there that marched to the White House to protest against thermonuclear World War III, essentially.
1: The, yeah, the American policy of arming Ukraine to the teeth so that it can use Ukraine in a, as a proxy in a war against Russia that it doesn't care how many Ukrainians get killed in this war as long as it eventually weakens Russia. Um, And, of course, what that does, the reality is it's America and NATO that's at war with Russia. And that's the reality. And when when these two powers are at war like that, then nuclear war Mm. is a real danger.
0: And there were um, similar rallies in other American cities and since 50,000 then... 50,000
1: people at least were protesting in Germany on the same day.
0: Yeah, and later on as well. So this has continued across 100 cities, I believe, in Germany. Um, so this clip, though, there were ex- lots of excellent contributions, but this is a clip from Tulsi Gabbard, who's former American congresswoman and presidential candidate. Uh, and this, I think, particularly brings the yep. issues we're facing to the fore in a very real way.
5: Early one morning on a Saturday, on a beautiful day like today, in January of 2018, over a million people all across the state of Hawaii woke to their cell phones buzzing and ringing, radio alerts blaring, with a message that read ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. I and so many others, I happened to be here that morning, I started calling my friends and calling my family concerned for them and where they were. But just as you here might imagine, if we all got that alert at this moment, so too did people all across Hawaii start to ask themselves the question, where is their shelter? Where do I go? Where do I take my children to be safe, knowing that there is an inbound missile to Hawaii with a nuclear warhead and we have just minutes to live. We had college students at the University of Hawaii sprinting across campus trying to figure out where they could possibly go to get shelter. A father who lowered his little girl down a manhole thinking that may be the only place she may be safe and telling her goodbye, I might not see you again. I heard after from a father who had one kid in town on the island of Oahu and another child on the other side of the island, and himself in the middle trying to decide which of his children he might spend the last of his minutes with. An impossible decision for any parent to make. Countless others shared their stories of their panic, cowering in the bathtub with their kids, trying to understand. They're telling us to seek immediate shelter. Where do we go? And experiencing that harsh reality. That was as true for us there in Hawaii in 2018 as it is for us here today. There is no shelter.
1: Now, if that doesn't get you... Nothing will. That was real. Yeah, that, that happened. That.
0: I remember at the time.
1: And it changed. Trans- Tulsi Gabbard was already one of the best politicians in America, but it transformed mm. her, that experience. Because remember, that was supposedly North Korea. And the funny thing was, Donald, the, you know, we go back and watch the four years of our shows during the Trump administration. We started off being really positive about the potential. By the end, frankly, we we're as sick of him as anybody. But the one thing he did do, apart from not starting a war, and I'll give him that as well, the one thing he did do against great internal resistance was he went and made a peace deal with the, the president of um, North Korea, right, Kim Jong Un, and all the all the respectable Washington foreign policy types they were disgusted at him. Oh, you're 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 um, giving uh, credence to the regime. You're, you're saying the regime is a, is a um, uh, What's the word? Not authentic, but a, a le- you're giving legitimacy mm. to the regime. And Trump said, "Get stuff. This is a this is a real country. Um, you do not want to have nuclear war, mm. right?" And and it was in that context before he signed that deal that this warning had come in, and the poor the poor people of of uh, Hawaii had to go through that absolute trauma, and that was a false alarm, mm. right? Imagine if it was real.
0: Now, right now, people might have seen clips in the news over the last couple of days of the speeches that Biden made in Kiev, um, the speech that Putin has made withdrawing from the New Start Treaty. Uh, we'll have more to say about that in future. But, you know, the level of danger, yep. the, the trigger point for potential world war is getting hotter and hotter by the moment. Um, now, there's an article, because Australia is at least on one front, that is vis-a-vis China at the very forefront of such a situation. And there's an article in this week's Alert Service which I urge people to read. Wong defends USA's right to get Australia nuked. Um, And the debate in Australia is really breaking out on this subject because here we are, um, we're overhauling the Tyndall Air Base in the Northern Territory to permanently host American B-52 strategic bombers, Um, But one of the debates that's broken out is, well, hang on, Australia is a signator to the Nuclear Free Zone Rarotonga Treaty, which was signed in the Cook Islands in 1985, which says that there are to be no nuclear explosive devices on our territories, any of the signatures to this treaty. So what does that mean for these B-52 strategic bombers? And the debate has, you know... The the authorities, our government, are trying to say, oh, they're just visiting, you know, they're just on rotation, albeit permanent rotation. They're not deployed here. They're not stationed here. And besides, we don't know. There's an ambiguity here about whether they're carrying nuclear weapons or not. Exactly, because the US neither confirm nor deny position in terms of their strategic posture in that sense. Um, So, you know, this is something that... Is becoming
1: If we had time, we'd play the clip. It was just ridiculous that the, the knots that um, Penny Wong was tying herself into to stick to, to to try and pretend that our policy of letting these B 52s be stationed at Tyndall in Northern Territory is mm-hmm. not in breach of that treaty. And you know, we are we we're we such damn hypocrites on the world yeah, stage. Our neighbours na- are completely neighbors. untrustworthy, Alisa. Yeah, and completely our neighbours know it. Utterly untrustworthy we are the bad actors on the world stage
0: now sky news had a documentary this week are we ready for war Um,
1: (laughs) and richard barden wrote the program could just as well have run for two seconds and one word no
0: (laughs) (laughs) and nor do we want it Um, and you know the fact that we don't want it is reiterated by other things that were reported in this article One is an open letter to Prime Minister Anthony Albanese published on the 18th of February by John Menadue and signed by over 50 eminent Australians, including barristers, academics, retired diplomats, military officers, you know, the top of, of the top people that know what they're talking about in this country. There's also been pushback from the ABC where John Lyons has had articles where he's interviewed former Deputy Defence Secretary Hugh White, ex-Chief of Defence Force Admiral Chris Barry and former Defence Department Section Head uh, Alan Bame, who was at one point an advisor to Penny Wong and unfortunately isn't anymore. She needs
1: needs to go back to to employing him.
0: Um, And we've also pointed to important coverage of the address that former ambassador to China, John Lander, uh, gave to the Committee for the Republic, which we've reported on in past weeks, which, as he stated, puts Australia right on the front lines of being a proxy for a war, American war against China in the same way that Ukraine is on the front lines of the, the Russia war. John
1: first said that on our show, Citizens Insight, last year. I interviewed him on it. And he's been consistent in making this warning that we are being set up to be a proxy, like like Ukraine is, and, and uh, along with Taiwan. Um, and it's starting to get noticed. And so that he was invited to address this committee for the Republic, which is, you know, includes some pretty um, well-connected, highly qualified people in the American foreign, in the American establishment, including foreign policy establishment. Um, and then that's been picked up around the world. So. With the, with the press coverage he received, he got in the Global Times, and that was a, a decent interview. But then the Murdoch press here covered him, yeah. news.com.au, and the, and the reporter there, Jamie Seidel, usually just pumps out all this anti-China propaganda. Um, but he had, to, he had to give John Lander fairly straight coverage, right? But then, and that was picked up in um, uh, maga- newspapers like the New Zealand Herald. Um, but then, extraordinarily, this uh, magazine called Defence Connect... Um, ran an article attacking John, and Defence Connect is a trade magazine for the military-industrial complex. They say, we're here to help people make money from the biggest military spend um, since World War II, right? That is, they're in there to promote the business of war, and of course they had, a, they had an article um, attacking John Lander. But it was it's, it's noteworthy because at least there was some coverage. Because what you, when you go back to the open letter to Albanese, that, that John Menager organised, and John Menager is the former Secretary of the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, the, the, um, you know, the top public servant in Australia in his day. He was the ambassador to Japan, et cetera. That's received virtually no coverage. And one of the issues we have in Australia, at least, is we have essentially three media organisations that so when it comes to these big issues like foreign policy, they're all in lockstep. Yeah. Whereas if you, ever, you go back 30 years... The, the, the newspapers in the big cities were differently owned to the radios, were differently owned to the television stations, and they were they, they were differently owned to each other. The the ownership in Perth was different to the ownership in Melbourne, etc. A lot more variety, a lot more competition, and a lot more of this stuff got... Because the people that are speaking up deserve coverage. They're not cranks. They're people that were at the heart of government in their day. They're the wise statesmen of Australia, and they're being ignored, right? But... Um, Sometimes it sneaks, it, it, it gets, it leaks through, like with uh, the the John Lander coverage.
0: Yeah, it's getting serious, and people are taking it seriously more and, we and more. We have an ad, don't we? Yeah, no. Let's put, we'll put a link to this below. If you're in Melbourne, there'll be a, a rally on the 18th of March, and this is a, to coincide with the 20th anniversary of the US-led invasion of Iraq.
1: And that's a that's a really important event. So please, um, as many people get along to that as possible. Because that's the event that proves that so much of what you're hearing at the moment through our press is just utter hypocritical garbage. Nobody, everyone knows the Iraq war was a war crime. It's the single biggest atrocity in the 21st century so far, a million dead people. Ask yourself, who in the West has been held accountable for that? Nobody. And
0: now we're taking the same pathway again, slightly Vladimir, different predicates. Vladimir
1: Putin has scratched the tiniest surface of Ukraine compared to what we did to Iraq. Mm. The, tiny, like, the death toll is so much less, um, et cetera, compared to what we did to Iraq. Now, mm-hmm. it may drag on more, but it's only going to drag on more because our side wanted to drag on more, and we're the ones that don't have the moral authority, and we have to drag... That's why this Washington thing was called Rage Against the War Machine. We have the moral responsibility in our countries to rein in our warmongers, mm-hmm. right? So get along and, and support that and help us with the... Um, Regional Banking Task Force Inquiry. Make
0: make your submission, contact us if you need more information. Um, You can educate yourself using our weekly publication. Uh, And yeah, that's about it for this week. So thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.